get this sorted here. I love that passage, that story that, that they've read to us, um, partly because how dare anyone say there's no comedy in the Bible? I mean, how funny is Peter miraculously escaped from prison, knocking at the door, and she recognizes the voice. She recognizes the voice, but doesn't answer the door. She runs up, Peter's here, and there's Peter, miraculous escape, going, seriously? <laughs> Come on. And then they go, oh, it's not him. And they open the door and they're astonished. They've been praying for this. Anyway, I love that story. It might come up useful in a moment. Now, okay, so we're looking at this uh, passage um, that we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks that we felt the Lord put on our hearts to study. This uh, verse, a particular verse that came in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the koinonia, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that's what we're, we're focusing on. Now, hand on heart, when we planned this, and I looked at the rota, I dreaded today. Because I had to preach about prayer. Because this is one of my, uh, my little insecurities. Because when we talk about prayer, I often feel really unqualified. Because I know people who've, who, as far in my mind, they've kind of got a gift of prayer, a passion for prayer. And, you know, you know they, they eat, drink, sleep, breathe prayer. And I go, what right have I got to stand at the front and talk about prayer? I don't know about you, but frequently I'm intimidated by some of our prayer warriors. Yes, some of you are in this room. You intimidate me with your prayers. Don't look so pleased about it. <laughs> I regularly feel guilty about my prayer life. I don't know about you. Maybe this is just one big therapy session. And to be honest, I stand and I feel a little bit of a fraud talking about prayer whenever in no way at all do I feel like an expert. I remember um, whenever I was growing up um, about the importance of prayer. It's well drilled into you. And I could pray on my own. That's fine. I could pray that as a teenager. You know, you pray about those really important things like the girl that I really fancied, saying, God, please make her my girlfriend. I mean, the whole thing about free will goes out the window, doesn't it? <laughs> but, you know, it's quite self-centered prayers, but where I became unstuck was at the church prayers in the service, okay? So I was sitting there, and, and the minister at the front with his big black flowing robes would say, now it's time to pray. And I thought, that's my cue to get comfortable, ask my grandmother for a packet of tree bore soft mints and settle in for a few minutes and a little snooze. Because I didn't know what to do during those corporate prayers. I didn't know whether it was a bit of a performance from the guy at the front and all I was doing was adding an amen like a Christian version of clapping. I didn't know. So I, I sat there and I would sometimes pray going, God, I really don't know what I should be doing right now. No one's told me. Um, and then I realized, well, maybe, maybe I should pray. And so I would start praying my own prayers. Then it just felt really rude praying over someone, even though it was in my own head. I just thought, God must be really upset that I'm kind of interrupting someone else while they're praying. And that's the kind of thought. And I said, well, how do you do this prayer thing? And I thought, there must be something more to this prayer malarkey than, than, than me sitting there with my tree bore soft mint wondering what to say. So I would read about the stories of the saints of old. And that kind of both helped and kind of hindered. So we, uh, 
We hear stories of people, I'll, Steve Chalk, I'll get to him in a second, but John Wesley, um, you know, and, and Whitfield, and Luther, and Wilberforce, all those guys, and you read, they spent like at least two hours every day praying. And as a teenager reading that, I would go, it's fine for you. But they didn't have history homework for Mr. Dalzell due on Monday. And latterly, he didn't have a smartphone with a Netflix subscription. You know, and I thought, it's okay for them. So I was both inspired and intimidated by these spiritual giants who just seemed to breeze through two hours or three hours of prayer. And I would feel inspired and intimidated. And perhaps when we look at others even today... We, in our own minds, look around this room and we go, well, that person's a great prayer. I'm a bit rubbish, even though that may not be the case. So then the blessed Steve Chalk comes on the scene. And I was at a, a, a Christian event. It was kind of later teenage years. And uh, he was speaking. And then he did one of those amazing Christian leader confessionals. We've done it loads from the front. Where, um, and he said, everybody... I need to tell you something. And this is a packed room of kind of paid up, evangelical, charismatic, eat, sleep, drink, prayer, kind of, they wrote their emails in tongues, that kind of people, right? And I thought, man, what's he going to say? And he said, I have to say that sometimes my prayer life is a bit rubbish. You could almost hear the audible sigh that lifted from the group of people going, so it's not just me. And I was one of them. I was going, oh, amazing. And for some reason, I don't know if you agree with it, it was a massive encouragement to know that actually this super spiritual hero bubble of the Christians at the front, they say, actually, I struggle with prayer and doubt and questions as well. I felt, oh, that's a relief. Can I give you my confession? Okay, you're not, you're not engaging in a bit of confidence here, okay? <laughs> not encouraging it. Can I give you my confession? Yes. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters in the Lord. My confession is this. I am really good at praying. Didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> I'm really good prayer, okay? I know how to pray. I know the definition and the understanding and the meaning of prayer. I, I've done it for a long time. I know how to say, I've learned the Lord's Prayer in several different versions, both sins, trespasses, and debts. I know the different ways to pray. I've got my little techniques. I've got my teaspoon. Thank you, sorry, please. I've got my acts. Yeah, whatever that stands for. <laughs> I've got, I know, I know how, all the techniques. I've got the books. I know how to do it. I, I'm a good prayer. In fact, I would say my prayer life is spectacular in its inconsistency. Because <laughs> that's the truth of it. I do know how to pray. I can pray. I believe in prayer. But I'm a bit inconsistent. There are times and seasons where it's regular and it's organized. And I feel like I'm on top of my game spiritually. Maybe you identify with that. 
There are times and seasons whenever it's sparse and sporadic and a little bit hit and miss and you feel quite dry. There are times where you're driven in utter desperation to knock on the door of heaven 24-7 saying this is a desperate situation. Other times whenever through anger it feels like you're thumping God on the chest and saying what are you playing at God? And there are times whenever God has been so close, his presence so real that I've virtually seen the indentation of his seat on my bed when I've been praying. And there have been times whenever I've been firing words up into the ceiling and they've bounced back and slapped me across the face. Perhaps you've experienced that gamut of prayer experiences. A little bit of feedback would make me feel less insecure right now. Thank you very much. See, the thing is, it's great, this kind of level of authenticity about the fact that we have good times and bad times in prayer. And, you know, I've heard so many people go, do you know what? I'm just not a good prayer. I'm not very good at praying. And do you know what? We may feel good about that. We may be encouraged by that, but it also lets us off the hook a little bit. We think, oh, well, if Steve Chalk can't pray, then, then I don't need to bother, do I? Because, you know, we're all a bit rubbish at prayer, so we've accepted that at times. And what I want to say is, I don't think it's good enough. I don't think that's good enough. And I may be standing here sounding very authoritative, but I'm saying it to me, and I'm quaking a little bit, because I don't think it's good enough for me either. It's not good enough to say, I'm not very good at prayer, or another person is. It's their gifting, so to speak. I don't know if you've ever used that. Oh, that person's got a gift of prayer. Do you notice that in Scripture, there's no one with a gift of prayer? It's not a spiritual gift. It is actually a gift to everybody. Yes, there are some people who have a specific calling, a specific way, you know, a call in their life to focus and dedicate on prayer. Some people are more practiced than us. But let's not fool ourselves into thinking that person's got a gift of prayer and I haven't because it's rubbish. We all have the gift of prayer given to us. Prayer is for all of us. And if you disagree, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, can you talk? Yeah, some of you proved it there. Can you talk? Excellent, that's superb. Can you think? Some of you paused. Indeed, can you pause? Can you just wait? Can you, be, can you sit still? Can you be quiet? No, <laughs> who had money on? In fact, it was going to be Chris who said that. Can you go for a walk? Can you write? Well, let me tell you, if you can talk, if you can think, if you can pause, if you can sit still, if you can go for a walk, if you can write, if you can be quiet, then my friends, you can pray. So let's get rid of this bunkum about the fact I can't, I'm not very good at praying. I can't pray. Nonsense. If you can do all of that, that's the prayer. You can pray through all those different ways. So if you can do all that, you can pray. You see, the thing is, it's not prayer that we have a problem with. Now, I appreciate there's a whole other sermon about the things that can get in the way of, us, of, of our prayers, you know, but we'll talk about that in a little bit maybe later on. It's not prayer that we have the problem with. The bit that we have a problem with is this word, devoted to prayer. So let's get our understanding right and realize that it's not prayer that we're not good at because in theory we can all be very, very good at prayer. Our problem is our devotion to prayer. The Greek word that's used in this passage in 242 and in other places, proskartarontes, 
thanks. Um, it's kind of translated in a number of different ways. It's translated faithful, constant, set apart, committed. Of the ten times it is used in, scripture, in the New Testament, five of them are about prayer. We have an Acts 1.14. You might want to turn to it. You might not. You just want to note them down. Acts 1.14. Jesus has risen from the dead. Um, he has ascended. The disciples and all of this gather, those who have gathered have seen this happen. They've all piled back to the penthouse suite of a local inn in, um, in Jerusalem, in the upper room. And what are they doing? They are devoting themselves to prayer. The apostles, Mary and the mother of Jesus, Jesus' brothers, they're all there and they have devoted themselves to prayer. Then we have Acts 2.42, defining what the church was like. It was devoted to all those things we've looked at and to prayer, or the translation to the prayers. We'll look at that in a second. Acts 6 verse 4, the church is growing. It's getting well out of hand. And so people needed feeding, some practical tasks needed doing. So the apostles say, we need to appoint people to do that. We will devote ourselves to prayer. And then Romans 12, 12 is like saying, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful or devoted in prayer. And then Paul in Colossians 4, verse 2, pleads with the church in Colossae, be devoted in prayer, be committed in prayer, be, be set apart for prayer. And then he goes on to say, please pray for me. Five times out of the ten is to do with being devoted to prayer. Has anyone ever been metal detecting? It's great fun. It's fab. You feel a little bit like Indiana Jones, I have to be honest. Um, so if you have a metal detector and you go across a bit of metal and it goes beep, 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 beep. Well, listen, if you have a prayer detector, use your imagination, and you go through the book of Acts, it would be beeping all over the place. Because the book of Acts, the early church, is absolutely soaked through with prayer. Lots of different ways of praying. Maybe words that we don't recognize. When they meet together, you think they're just sat around talking about the weather or the sport? They prayed together. When they broke bread together, they prayed together. When it says they bless one another, set each other apart, prayer was at the very, very heart. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because maybe they didn't have their own version of the Bible. Maybe they didn't have their scriptures to hand because everything was word of mouth and scripture and papyrus was expensive. And so the way of engaging with God was through prayer. The prime way. You see, prayer was the defining characteristic of the early church. It was a praying body of people. It was a praying body of people. It was born within the Jewish tradition. And within the Jewish tradition, similar to how we understand about um, our Muslim brothers around this country and, and around the world, they had calls to prayer a number of times through the day. The Jews had three calls to prayer. They had morning prayer in the AM, and where they used the Shema, the Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then they had a thing called the Tephilim, which was 18 prayers that you learned. They were based on blessings that some really wise and holy guys had put together. And you learned them, and you recited them. Then you had noonday prayer or lunchtime prayer. Um, people would get together and you would, you would you'd pray um, kind of the, the tefillim only, those blessings. And then you would have the kind of evening prayer and you would um, go back to the beginning again. You'd have the shema 
and you'd have the Tephilim again, and then you would add in your own private petitions. Added to all of those three times during the day, you also had special occasion prayers, you had blessings over meals, you had things for Yom Kippur, you had things for, um, you had things for the Sabbath, for the Passover, all those different kinds of prayers. And the early church kept that model of the three times a day. There's a book called the Didache, and the Didache is a book of Christian practice that was put together in the early uh, second century, late first century, and it outlines what the church got up to. And in the section on prayer, it said the church gathers to pray three times a day, morning, kind of afternoon and midday, and the evening. It was their practice. The only difference was this devotion to prayer went beyond that religious observance. They were devoted to the prayers, to prayer. So I guess one question, if we start off as asking this question, are we devoted in prayer? Are you devoted in your prayer life? Whatever your prayer life looks like, they are. <laughs> Whatever pattern you adopt in your life, would you describe it as devoted? Would, would I describe my life in prayer as devoted? Because I'll describe what not devoted looks like. Not devoted to prayer looks like um, you know, crisis prayers. You go through your life, then something upsetting happens. You go, quick, God, sort it out, amen, and move on to the next thing. It's also not just ritualistic like, let's say grace, one that we've learned when we were six and we still repeat it every single day, almost like a mantra. It's also not just our kids' prayers when we put them to bed at night. It's important, but that doesn't equal devoted in prayer necessarily. And also our bedtime routine, when we say, oh, I pray before I go to sleep. Dear God, please bless. And we snore in the gift of tongues. It's also not the passerby prayers. You know the prayers that maybe you read your Bible devotions and at the end there's a little prayer and you kind of read it and go, amen, close it and get on with the day. And it's like you and God are like ships that pass in the morning. And you don't really devote yourself to prayer. Because there are obstacles to our prayer life, to our devotion to prayer. And perhaps one of the key ones, we'll look at a few of these quickly, is busyness, would you agree? And it's very close companion, tiredness. Number of times we've talked about prayer in small groups or Bible studies, and you say, what's the thing that stops you having a quiet time or whatever, and your prayer life? Tiredness. When I, I, I want to pray when I go to bed, but when I'm, by that time I'm absolutely shattered, so I fall asleep when I'm praying. It's a lovely way to fall asleep, isn't it? But it's no excuse. And then I've got to get up early for work in the morning. I wake up and I'm tired. And it takes me at least 17 cups of coffee before I can say the word hello. And, and so prayer isn't great then. At lunchtime, it's not great because I'm just so busy. I'm, I've had a morning of work and I'm really tired or the kids have been this or whatever. Busyness and tiredness is an obstacle to devotion. Would you say so? That is actually a criticism of the world that we live in and the world that we have succumbed to. Because this is about priorities. Distractions. I was kind of joking, I'm not joking when I said, I used to think, well, it's okay for the guys in the 17th century. They had nothing better to do then. So they could pray for two and a half hours. 
Actually, you know, they had to find meals for the table. They had to write longhand as opposed to text emojis. They had to go from village to village, which took a day and a half as opposed to 30 minutes on a train. So let's get away from saying, oh, well, they were, they were simpletons in those days. They could afford two and a half hours. No, they had distractions like we do, and we are one of the most distracted societies that there's ever been. All you need to do is get on a bus or wait anywhere and within 30 seconds, either every person around you will have their smartphone out or you won't notice because you've already got yours out because we live distractedly. How can we have a devoted life of prayer if we have the latest phone, the latest social media and we need to keep up with the miss out, miss it, miss out idea? Maybe we have questions that are problems for us in our devotedness to prayer. Fundamental questions like, does it really work? What's the point in doing it anyway? God's going to have his own way anyhow, isn't it? That should sound more faith-filled than it is. What's the point? Will it make a difference? The, the, the questions of unanswered prayer really gets to us, and sometimes that hampers us in our commitment to and devotion to prayer. And the other thing is that we face opposition. Whenever the saints of God get on their knees, Satan trembles. That is a truth that has been categorically proven throughout the history of the church. When the church prays, the gates of hell quake. That is a fact. The gates of hell are not quaking enough. Do you know why? Because the church isn't praying enough. I'm not praying enough. And so if that's what's going to happen, Satan will make sure that we're not praying. So we announce a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden we've got 75 different things that are really more important, like that paint needs to be watched while it dries. <laughs> Satan comes in and says, yeah, but you're tired. You've had a long day, and prayer doesn't work anyway. The last time you went, someone annoyed you, so don't bother going. And besides which, you know, you've got a new game to play, or you, you want to watch the next episode of whatever. And, you know, and distraction after distraction, subtly opposition. But not just Satan. Let's not blame him just completely because we are rubbish as well. We oppose ourselves because actually prayer is an unnatural activity. It's an unnatural activity because the natural stance of a human being is to run away from God. That's the whole point of sin. That's what it's about, running away from God. And so lots of things about ourselves do not naturally lead us to a place of being devoted in prayer. It's not natural, it's supernatural. Hence why Paul says later on, we need the Holy Spirit to help us pray, to be devoted in it. I want to quickly just look at um, a few things that maybe addresses some of these obstacles to being devoted to prayer that we find maybe in Acts. Um, I want to do these two things. First of all, I want to look briefly at what prayer is and what it isn't. And secondly, have a quick look at actually how, what the Acts church show us about how to be devoted in prayer. Okay, so first one, when you wish upon a star. Because there's ways that we view prayer. Sorry, it's gone off the side of the thing. The way that we view prayer is not often the way that we define it. The way that we live prayer and the way that we do it and believe in it is not often how we describe it. So I could ask everybody, what's your definition of prayer? And I'm sure you'll come up with great ones, all theologically signed with Bible references, maybe a quote from C.S. Lewis, all that stuff. 
But I wonder if in our prayer lives we actually pray differently. And I wonder whether we pray wishful thinking as opposed to prayer. And our prayers, instead of um, what Jesus taught us, we pray our genie who aren't in the lamp. And we pray wishful thinking. We pop a prayer request to God. We hope it comes good. And maybe if we wish really, really hard, if we really, really wish really hard, otherwise known as having faith, what's what we think sometimes? If we wish really hard, then maybe it'll come true. And our prayer is, our genie, I hope your will is my will. I wonder if we often pray wishful prayers. The second thing is one I kind of struggle with, but I felt it was really important because I think it describes how we approach prayer too often. And that is it's a kind of magic. Yeah, of course, you're looking at it going, Phil, of course, we know it's not magic. Bah, humbug you. But I wonder whether we do sometimes. Maybe we need to listen to what we pray and hear what we're saying to God. How often does it sound like we're trying to get God to come around to our way of thinking? How often do we think if we pray the right things, if we pray it often enough and with enough passion, then God might decide to go, oh, all right, then you've convinced me. Do we consider it like that? Because actually that's a terminology of magic. It's praying or bringing your request to a greater power and saying, I want you to become my will. And the more I pray it, the more it might happen. Jesus had a lot to say about this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, um, don't be babbling like the pagans because they think they're going to be heard with all their many words. That's what the magic thing is. If you say enough words, say it vigorously enough, then God might come around to your way of thinking. It's like our God with a small g, make my will your will. And we enter into negotiations with God. Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 6. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a kind of magic. So what does Jesus say? He says, don't be like the pagans. Instead, go into your room and talk to your father. It's the essence of prayer. Go into your room and talk to your father. Because at its very heart and origin and its intention... Prayer is about relationship. And I'm not saying anything which you don't know already, but I'm reminding you, I'm reminding myself, prayer is first and foremost about a relationship of a child coming to their parent, their father. When I said earlier that when we kind of make ourselves feel better by going, oh, you know, I'm not very good at prayer, and I said, that's not good enough. It's not good enough, not because we're not reaching a standard or a quality. It's not good enough because that's not how you do relationship. Relationship is about spending time, quality, investing life, investing your words, investing your cares and your woes. Your friendships around here and your friendships out there, they're, they're not by you trying to impose your will on your friends, or it certainly shouldn't be. It's about you talking to your friends. It's about them talking to you. It's about engaging in a mutual relationship. Rush in and rush out with a list of requests doesn't make a relationship. One of my favorite writers at the moment, and one we've recommended, is a guy called John Mark Comer. 
Um, this guy who's written um, God Has a Name, and we've emphasized that. Um, I've been really privileged to have an advanced copy of his new book that's coming out. Oh, it's more impressive than that. <laughs> it's coming out at the end of October, and I've, it's, it's in my room at the moment. It's really good. Um, so pre-orders, Cornerstone, please. Um, but he has a definition of prayer. And he says, prayer is the awareness of and connection to God. Prayer is the awareness of and connection to God. And Luke 11, disciples say to Jesus, you know, we do the whole three, day, three times a day thing. Teach us how you pray. And Jesus starts off the very first thing. He says, when I pray, essentially, he says, our Father. That's the basis of it. Jesus does not command us to pray. Instead, he invites us to follow him in his example. If Jesus prayed, we pray. How Jesus prayed is how we should be praying. It was his root source, a place of intimate connection with his father. It wasn't a wish-fulfilling genie. It wasn't a God to be manipulated. It was a father to whom we can run to. And as it says, we can cast all our anxiety onto him. Why? Because he cares for us. It's not about coming to God with a list that you've been given like your mom's given you a list of things to go to the shop and get. It's about going before your father and saying, God, this stuff is weighing on my heart. This isn't right. Your will be done. Not my will, or I hope it's my will. Your will be done. Will you move in this situation? This is burdening me. I'm going to throw it onto you. And that is when prayer is at its purest. When we cast our anxiety onto him. Why? Because he cares for us. This was why the church in Acts prayer life was so vibrant. Because it wasn't cold and distant. They'd walked with the word of life. They'd been in the presence of the light of salvation. They knew Jesus risen from the dead. They had the Holy Spirit alive and active within them. They knew God relationally. So how did they devote themselves to prayer? The first thing, I'm sorry, is really boring. Is that all right? No? Oh, sorry. How did they devote themselves to prayer? First of all, it was a choice. It didn't say they were devoted to prayer. It said they devoted themselves to prayer. There was a choice and a commitment involved. Those heroes of the faith who prayed for three hours every day, the friends who you know are massive prayer warriors, at some point they decided, I will pray and I will stick with this prayer. And too often we're not devoted to prayer because we choose not to be. It was a choice, an intentional choice. The early church was made up of us, you and me. How I know that is that in that first gathering, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says the apostles were there. A matter of days before that, they were asleep in a garden when Jesus said, will you pray with me? They were as rubbish at it as we were. And yet they chose to be devoted in prayer. It was a priority. If something was good, they prayed about it. If something was bad, they prayed about it. We're all very different. We all have um, strengths and weaknesses. But I want to give a few little pointers about how we can be devoted. 
from what the early prayer life of the church looked like. First of all, it was scheduled and it was spontaneous, not either or. It was scheduled. They followed the pattern. They went to the temple. It says Peter and John went to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Peter went and prayed at noontime later on in Acts. It was scheduled. They followed that schedule of prayer. They committed to that, but it wasn't just that. They also had spontaneous prayers. Something happened. They prayed about it. They, prayers, our prayer life needs to be scheduled because we, we're creatures of habit. We need that. And we need to be praying because the needs are great in this world. There's lots to pray about, but we also need to pray on all occasions. And Paul said that, didn't he? With all kinds of prayers. And that's where this comes in. All kinds of prayers. Organized and open. You know the whole thing about teaspoon prayers or acts or morning prayer or daily prayer, whatever we want to use it. Prayer can be organized. Liturgy, the Lord's Prayer, was a model. We can use the Bible. When we read the Bible, we can use that as a springboard for our prayers. The Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. We can use diaries. We can use prayer lists. We can use journals. We can do paintings. We can do lots of different things. We use models, acts, teaspoon, here, there, and everywhere. We've got lots of ways we can organize our prayers so that they're not just hit and miss, but they also need to be open, which means open conversation with our Father which means not fancy words, which means saying, God, I'm really annoyed with you today. We're not talking, and you're walking away because that's open conversation. Or, wow, God, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that gift. It needs to be more than just something we book in. It needs to be a heart response. It needs to be alone, and it needs to be assembled. We have a story of Peter going up on the roof on his own to pray. We have Jesus saying, go into your room alone so you avoid the temptation of showing off your prayers. That's where the intimacy between you and God occurs. However, when Jesus taught us how to pray, what did he say? Our Father. Prayer is a corporate event. So when you pray and you go, I'm sorry, don't pray out loud. Why not? You can talk out loud. Are you worried that you're going to get it wrong? God's not worried that you might say the wrong word. That's fine. He wants to know that you're talking to him. The important part is getting together and praying. You've read in the newsletter, and we're going to hear more about it, about um, Esther and Catherine are really pushing the idea of prayer triplets, prayer partners, getting together with people and committing to praying with and for each other. There's nothing which will deepen your friendships more than when you pray with each other and for each other on a regular basis. And the prayer of people getting together are powerful Because it makes us accountable. It encourages us. It brings unity. It brings strength. It brings relationship. So when you speak to these guys, wave so everyone knows where you are. They can maul you afterwards. Get yourself a prayer partner if you've not got one. Get yourself a prayer triplet. Raise the priority of praying together. If you don't pray out loud, pray out loud because it's an encouragement to other people. It doesn't matter if you get the wrong words. No one's going to damn you if they do come and speak to me because they deserve to be told that's wrong. Get yourselves praying. And finally, it needs to be reverent, reverently and really. Reverently, we need to be reminded that the week comes before the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Sovereign Lord. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. This is the King. We come into his presence, but we come with reality. That's what I love about Acts 12. These guys are praying. Set him free, set him free. He's free. Nah, I can't be free. He really is free. What? Didn't expect that. (laughs) That's reality. Number of times we've had people come and share words going, I prayed. And do you know what? God answered. Shock. And they're genuinely shocked. I want to get to the point where we're not shocked anymore. 
Honesty, reality, no pretense, because Jesus says your father already knows what's on your mind, so what's the point pretending? Be honest. If you're happy, rejoice, and let others rejoice with you. If you are sad and angry at God, tell him so that others can join you in that prayer. Boldly approach the throne of grace with what? With confidence. If you look really carefully, you notice these letters, S-O-A-R, spell the word sore. And my prayer life, my prayer for me, for you, for this church, is our devotion to prayer, cheesy as it sounds, would soar on wings like eagles. Because the more we pray, the more the gates of hell will, will tremble and fall. And we will see more people come to know the Lord and his kingdom coming in reality. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to have the worship band and then we're going to be doing some praying, guys. Thanks.